Hey friends, this is a special episode of the podcast, and the first in a series that I'm calling In Conversation. This one specifically, In Conversation, Music Therapists. I think it's important to diversify the perspectives and opinions that I feature on this podcast. And, you know, originally I wanted it to just be me sharing my thoughts, but I really had a great time talking with these very close friends and colleagues of mine in the past few days at the Southeastern Region American Music Therapy Association Conference, which was in Columbia, South Carolina. I'm very grateful for everyone's contribution and for taking the time out of the busy conference schedule to sit down and talk with me about things that are near and dear to them. Truly, these folks are my colleagues and dear friends. So I hope you'll enjoy hearing their perspective as much as I enjoyed it. Never Mind Who Listens is a podcast grounded in music discussion, philosophy, and psychology. Sometimes together and sometimes separate discussions. in this field Mm -hmm. so I'm just kind of curious as to what music is for you now as a profession because people talk about how you know you make your hobby your profession right yeah has that changed your relationship with music at all or your approach to music because I mean I've known you for a while yeah and I see you playing more guitar now than you probably did before Mm -hmm. so just I guess talk a little bit about your your relationship with music. Yeah, so I've always had a good relationship with me. Like, I mean, I've always been musical. I think most music therapists can say that. Um, And during college, it was more, like, focused on the school stuff. But, yeah, ever since I've become a professional, I've had to be really intentional about making music for me and not just for clients. And I feel like I hear people talk about that. And I would be like, oh, yeah, 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 that makes sense, duh. But then it just, it goes over my head. And sometimes at the end of the day, you get tired. So I've been more intentional, like, um, especially this year and within the last probably six months or so. um, At the beginning of this year, our boss, we did, like, a team meeting. And we all picked a word as, like, our intention for the year. And I was going to pick... I was thinking about this and I wanted to pick brave and during the whole time that we were doing it we were doing this like with music and a little bit of improvisation and just free writing and then at the end of that I landed on the word balance instead Uh and that has really been my focus of balancing music for all the clients that I do and then being able to come home and still like find that music for myself and playing and it's been more about playing that music as opposed to writing music which I am interested in want to delve into more but it has been much more just focused on like enhancing my skills and making sure I'm taking that balance of doing songs that feel good to me and doing songs that feel that I want to do yeah it's twofold because you have the ethical responsibility of creating really high quality musical experiences for yeah. people you work with but you can also do that or and you can also do that through the music that you enjoy listening yeah. to 
So I'll, yeah, great perspective. And I think, and that has helped me because sometimes when I will practice songs for clients or for sessions, and I want to make it better, but I, because I'm not as interested in the song, I can still like learn new techniques. But in learning picking patterns for other songs that I wanted to do for myself that I've never used in sessions before, that's been able to transfer over into my clinical work as well. And I feel like it is that twofold. And then I feel more, I feel more confident in my abilities, and I feel more confident in my ability to be able to change and adapt to like yeah. what is going on. And so, do you think you enjoy music more now that you use it more as a professional? Hmm. I think in a way because I've had to because I've had to be more intentional about it I've had to find what music is good for me and what music makes me feel happy that I've actually started to get more enjoyment from it because there was a period of time where I was not getting any enjoyment from it but I think that's because I think part, partially just like first year in the profession and things like that you're just dealing with so much and moving for a job there's a lot so I put it on the back burner but since I've been more intentional about it it's brought me more joy because I have to put more focus on it um, and I get more joy during the day working with my clients as well too yeah. to be able to be that way uh, what's your favorite part about being a music therapist mm. um, it could just be like one line everything is very different <laughs> it's never it's never what you think it's gonna be and a lot of times you plan that it's going to be this one thing and it uh, oftentimes ends up being something so much better and you have to just trust in yourself and trust in your clients and where they're trying to go and where not always where you want to take them though you do you know you have your goals for them but um yeah just how different it is okay. yeah yeah and lastly um what is your favorite part about being a musician not music therapy aside, so what's your favorite part about being able to connect with music? Like, what's it, what does it give you? Yeah. Um, it gives me the space to express things that I am not always knowing that I need to express, or I know that I am, but I don't know how. Um, and it allows me this time to reflect internally and delve into those things. <laughs> Yeah, those things within myself that I need, that I need to get to. You were telling me that recently you've reconnected with dance. Now, was was it because you wanted to reconnect with music in some way, or did you dance when you know when you were growing up? And so how recent was it that you got back into dance and why? So I got back into dance in January and I had danced when I was, you know, little, 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 like everybody does. And then I danced in high school just a little bit. And since then, I've always said, and I'm still very young, so I know this is, sounds silly, but I've always said my biggest regret of life is not continuing dance lessons. And in like December I was like why, why do I say that I'm 24 I'm not too old to start dance lessons and so it was kind of a way to reconnect to myself and to reconnect to music in a really meaningful way and um, it's been a good way to express myself and to just figure out who I am like musically and what are some things that I need 
It's a lot of fun. Cool. So, so what is it like? Because I mean, dance is an expressive movement, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It's an expression of the self. It could be a, an expression of the music that you're listening to. Uh, it can be themed and represent something. Yeah. It could be purely rhythmic to support the music. What do you get most out of dance and the connection with music? So how do, how do you best connect through dance with yourself and music? Is it rhythmic? Is it expressive? What is it? I would say expressive because a lot of times I feel like I have to be in this box of I love to check the, oh, I got that right box. And that confines me a lot. And I've realized like if I improvise on the piano or the guitar, that used to terrify me. But now I'm like, oh, my God, this is so freeing because there is no like right or wrong and I love to have fun and I love to help others have fun yeah. and that's just something that's always been effortless to a point but also really meaningful when you work at it. So I think for me it's more of the expressiveness but I think it also is going to help my creativity in making music because now I'm letting parts of myself open up in like an emotional way and just in a physical way like just instead of sitting at a computer you know um, so in lots of ways letting myself open up to creativity and to what can come out and, of that and how validating to kind of be discouraged by the process like I'm an adult going to take dance yeah. lessons again <laughs> and now that you've gotten back into it it's brought that joy in oh, your yeah. life and opened up creativity because you're a music therapist yeah. so opening up that creativity from dance I imagine uh, goes right into your professional practice yeah. too when you're working with your mm -hmm. patients or clients yeah and it's helped me to be more comfortable with trying something new yeah. with my clients because I'm trying something new myself yeah. and it can be okay to be in that space of trying something new and not necessarily knowing if it's right or wrong mm -hmm. but it's new and it's okay yeah and that's right like we were talking about earlier. Yeah, and the and the, the discipline aspect of it too. So you're you're committing to something that you're doing yeah. every week. And there's a lot of research showing how uh, I think Jocko Willink, who I, I may have mentioned to you before, uh, he has this quote that's uh, "Discipline equals freedom," mm. which a lot of people don't think of. Yeah. You know, but if you have discipline uh, within all. All the parts of your life or just you know one thing yeah. it opens you up to it's do so more true. and it sounds like for you yeah. like dance about allows you to take more risks and to reap the benefits of mm -hmm. taking those risks for creativity yeah so i think that's really important for you as a music therapist yeah and it's been like also a self-care promise that i've made to myself and i've gone every single monday since january Good i haven't you. missed a day and there are lots of other adults that have missed weeks and come sporadically but I'm like this is something I enjoy yeah. and it helps in lots of other aspects of life and work nice. and stuff so it's nice. so we talked about your favorite part of dance right like that expressive piece what's your favorite part of music my favorite part of music is that it can connect anyone and everyone um, no matter if you speak a different language live in a different country or if you share lots of the same things music can bring anybody together and that's what I love about that, the communal aspect. And it's, it can be in a fun way, but it can also be in a like sacred or meaningful way, um, too. So it bridges lots of gaps.
So who introduced you to music? Many members of my family growing up were all musicians, but I would have to say the family member that had the biggest influence in my life for music would be my father. He was never achieved professional musicianship, but music is very important to him. He has a very distinct style and taste, and he shared that with myself and my sisters very early on. So as it, as it relates now, um, that, that you're a music therapist and music is your career, um, has your connection with music changed? Uh, you know, because if, it, if, you know, as music therapists, typically music starts as a hobby, right? Or it starts exactly. as a, a way of self-expression. Mm -hmm. It starts as, uh, I mean, developing discipline in life. I mean, there's so many reasons we create music. People have influenced us to do so. Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit about how your relationship with music uh, has gotten more important or has changed since you became a music therapist. I know we were talking about self-care for a little bit too, so mm -hmm. can you tell me a little bit about that? So my journey to become a music therapist um, very much falls within that descriptor, some of the questions you've asked me. I tried music performance to begin, got burnt out very quickly with that. Mm -hmm. um, why, do you think that why do you think you got burnt out on performance? I think the level of practicing and just the sheer competition factor, mm -hmm. um, being a, pri a flute primary, I mean, mm -hmm. that's one of the most competitive instruments probably on the planet. Mm -hmm. um, difficult to maintain relationships with friends when it came to competing for chairs or positions, you know, different um, placements to be able to perform. Um, so it's kind of like I started to lose that love that I had for music. Um, so I abandoned that, tried more of like a teaching or developmental child specialist role um, got burnt out with that because I wasn't including the music factor anymore that was so important to me um, took a break from school rediscovered music therapy and returned as an older student to finally finish in that profession um, so in a way I was able to recapture my love for music um, and also the desire to use that as a profession in a way that um, I wasn't feeling burnt out. There wasn't that performance factor anymore. That was just kind of a side piece, um, but being able to also serve the community, which was very important to me. I felt a connection with that kind of profession very early on as well. Awesome. Yeah, it's, it seems like a perfect blending of the needs from both aspects, yes. performance and the, you know, like service and treatment aspect. Mm -hmm. So how do you how do you use music for self-care and why do you think it's important as a music therapist to use music for self-care? When you when music therapy is your profession and that's what you're doing as your source of income and as you know functioning member of society, um, that may leave a lot of room for getting burnt out with music. Um, with it being your profession you know, you really need to find a way to separate yourself from you as a person, yourself, um, versus what you do. Um, even if it's the most rewarding thing on the planet to you, you need to have that separation. Otherwise, you know, it's you're not going to make it. You, right. I mean, you're going to again have that burnout factor. Um, I find where I work, especially being in a hospital setting, a medical setting, um, we have very rewarding moments with patients and families, and then we have some moments with patients and families who are experiencing the worst imaginable moments you know, of trauma or end of life or just very emotionally charged moments. Um, and I have found during my career, during my profession as a music therapist, it's vitally important for me to have a set of songs or artists or just set of music in general that I never bring into sessions. Um, an especially important artist for me is Bobby McFerrin. 
Many of his albums, um, many of his songs, I reserve just for myself. Nice. Um, he's actually an artist that my dad introduced me to early on as a child. Um, so like from the start, it's been especially meaningful to me to make sure that that is separate, that my you know, love for that particular artist and his music um, try to carry very little of that into sessions. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so that's how I try to take care of myself. It's a very distinct separation. Nice, nice. And so, what is the most important thing about music to you? For me, I know a lot of people say music is a universal language. Um, and I think sometimes people might think of that as, okay, no matter where you're from on the planet, you know, music is going to translate for you the same way it will for somebody who lives, you know, on the opposite side of the world. Um, for me, especially in a medical setting, I can see music connect with different, you know, patients from all kinds of demographical backgrounds and current functioning levels in a way that just talking to them or any other form of communication um, may not as be as successful or you see so, so much of a different response or so much of a different connection with music um, that I really feel like it can um, build relationships with people that I really can't think of any other medium to compare it to. So, who introduced you to music? I um, started in music when I got into a choir in third grade, and my music teacher at the time, Mr. Hill, um, he was this really confident person who used music to sustain like attention and like really got people engaged. Interesting. Yeah, and I was I remember being so enthralled by that, and then getting the opportunity to use my voice in a different way. I'd always kind of been a talker in class and like like joking around, but then to find music and to find singing um, was really how I started getting engaged in music. And it was a really significant experience for me just because uh, it just unlocked this joy that I didn't know I had. Um, and that, that was really powerful for me. Yeah. So now you get to impart that joy onto others as a professional as a clinician, as a music therapist. Yes. And it is so powerful for me. Um, a lot of times when I meet people, uh, they either already love singing or they say, oh, I can't sing. I'm a horrible singer. And uh, being able to facilitate a space where they feel comfortable enough to find their voice is something that I'm really passionate about. And it so often just being able to let go of that, those insecurities, let go of that self um, uh, like the lack of self-confidence and being able to just experience singing can be yes. a really powerful for people. Yeah, finding voice we talk about, right? Yes, yes, exactly. I had a client that um, when I first met this person, they uh, said, no, I don't sing, absolutely not. We did a, a vocal improvisation where they rhythmically said the word dude because that was all they yeah. felt able yeah. to handle. Not emotional, but... Yes. So. The, the level of vulnerability wasn't too overwhelming. Yes, Got yes. Um, and then uh, we had the experience of writing a song together, um, and they ended up actually being able to sing that song in front of a group of people, recording themselves singing that song. Um, and then eventually the feedback that I got when they were graduating, this was at the Eating Disorders Program, when they were graduating that program uh, was, you helped me find my voice. Nice. Yeah.
Awesome. Yeah. So, do you think Mr. Hill knew what kind of uh, impact that he had on you? Gosh, no, no. I haven't seen him since I was in fifth grade. Um, I don't know what he is doing nowadays, but I do know that he himself was full of passion. Yeah. Um, and so I hope that he knows that he imparted some of that yeah. passion uh, to his students because yeah. that was really what stuck out to me. Well, you should tell him that. I should tell him. Yeah. I should find him. You should. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. So we're talking about burnout and music listening and being a musician. So can you just kind of talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so this was one of those things that I did not think that I was going to experience. And as a senior... As like, a musician or a music therapy student? I would say either. Okay. Um, I grew up in a house where we listen to music all the time. I have to have it playing constantly and I just loved it. And I love playing the piano. Mm -hmm. and. Um, I recently did a senior recital and then totally like did not want to touch the instrument anymore. <laughs> like couldn't even really look at it. And I felt like I couldn't listen to music either when I'd ride in the car and stuff, it needed to be silent. So I decided like that I was getting tired of just feeling that way and trying to think of ways to get around that. So what I did was I recently went on and kind of downloaded all the music I used to listen to before I like was working and a lot of it is like stuff from when I was a teen and like a kid <laughs> but it kind of it helped me remember what it was that I liked about music initially yeah yeah so I talked some about that in, in episode two of this podcast but more so from like explicit content and how that can shape identity for like us 90s kids <laughs> you know because I'm a 90s kid but I think that's that's really important you know yeah. to reconnecting to when music did mean something more positive and you know yeah I think that's really cool I think that's important that you knew that yeah you needed to do that you know without anybody telling you right. so what do you think about that process like nobody told you to do that why do you think you were drawn to it outside of the obvious I mean um like knowing how important it was before like you know listening to it in the car I would listen to it when I go to bed like there's not much of a time of silence to all of a sudden having silence all the time was just not characteristic to me and not in in that you know way it was starting to affect my role as a therapist um and so how can you be a good therapist if you're not being totally authentic with yourself yeah um, and I think that's an important like self-evaluation that just needs to constantly kind of come up. So. Who introduced you to music? My parents introduced me to music through Music Together classes when I was little. And I think they were just looking for something interactive to do with my sister and I. Um, but that's something that sparked creativity in both of us. And it's something that once I got older and was old enough to learn an instrument that I continued to follow and I don't know if they expected that but it's something that they encouraged. Mm -hmm. Did Do you think that they knew at the time they were ultimately changing your life because you're choosing a career in music? At the time, no. I think as I got older and continued to stick with it and explored different instruments and different things I could do with music that my mom saw a little bit of that, um, so she definitely encouraged me with whatever I wanted to do with music. What's your favorite part about music? I, not, not from a clinical <laughs> sense, from a personal sense. What is your favorite part about music? 
I like how a different song can mean different things to anybody. How we can listen to the same song and we're gonna take different things away from it. And even if I feel like maybe a negative emotion, I can still gain something from that experience of either singing that song or even just listening to it. So tell me about your first concert. My first concert was Pink Floyd and, and Clemson, and funny story, um, I was in seventh grade at the time and went with my mom and dad, who were huge fans of Pink Floyd, uh -huh. and we went to the record store, showing my age, uh, the morning that the tickets went on sale, got our tickets, and then at a the few, yeah, oh yeah, oh, at the record store awesome. in person, yes. and uh, back before Ticketmaster, and um, like two or three weeks later, found out that I had a chorus concert that was now scheduled for that night. So my mom had to write a note excusing me from the chorus concert, and I got my first, like, I think it was a C or something in a class at that point oh, no. because I couldn't what, attend. Do you remember what your mom said in the note? Like, hey, please excuse me. Yeah, basically, the, like, she's going to go see Pink Floyd. Sorry, we already got tickets. We can't change these plans, oh. kind of thing. <laughs> Cool it was great. Mom, oh yeah, yeah, like, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, my mom and dad exposed me to a lot of great music yeah. uh, from an early age. I'm very grateful for that. Yeah, Pink Floyd first concert. Yeah. I mean, what a, what an amazing. First like, how do you concert. top that? Yeah. yeah, you can. I mean, you really can. I mean, you think about saying like, and nothing against this artist, but if you have someone who's like, my first concert was Justin Bieber versus uh, Pink yeah, Floyd, yeah. you know, like, come on, like, even if you're a huge Justin Bieber fan, you gotta admit Pink Floyd, you know, the legacy and the story and just the psychedelic nature of what they did and how they changed the perspective for progressive rock at their time. It's just, uh, it's unprecedented, like, how important they were and are to rock and roll now. Well, maybe not rock and roll now, but in rock and roll history, how oh, yeah. important they are. And all the, the stage props and things. There's the giant inflatable yes. pig, the giant yeah, disco, the disco ball. ball. Yeah. So was this oh, yeah. uh, part of their Pulse tour? Was it Pulse? Yeah, yeah. it was. That's, that is my favorite live recording. That's a, it's a double album. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. so good. So how did that experience shape your perception and interest in... Yeah, you were already interested in music because you were in Oh, yeah. Uh -huh. But did it, did it shape your perceptions of music at all? Like you said, you know, they were all your parents were always listening to like really good music. Mm -hmm. uh, but going there and seeing it live, like, did you just get even more bit by the bug, you know, oh, to yeah. be a musician? Oh yeah, and seeing that many people come together and that many generations of people coming together. Um, I may have been the only 13, 14 year old, but yeah. <laughs> there was you know people in their twenties and people in their fifties and sixties and you yeah, know, that kind of thing and. Um, that many people all in sync to the same music at the same time yeah. really had a big impact on me. Yeah, so cool. Now, they, uh, did they have an opening act? Do you remember? I don't, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think so. It's just them. It's like, yeah. How do you open? open? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Crowd's already warm. You don't need anybody. Yeah. Yeah. So you're doing something uh, for yourself, right? Yeah. Uh, in regards to music, and it involves ukulele. Tell me about that. Uh, so. Last year, uh, I realized that I wasn't using music in my own personal time for my own enjoyment as much as I had been in the past, and decided to make that a priority, and um, was kind of 
inconsistent with that and so at the beginning of the year I decided to challenge to myself to uh, learn and record a song each day from the daily ukulele book That's 365 songs for better living <laughs> and make myself stick to it and uh, and also record those songs and share them on Instagram which is something that I've always had some hang-ups in the past about seeing myself on video uh -huh. or sharing myself singing and and that sort of thing so um, it's been a great growth experience for me yeah. a lot of fun well I follow you on Instagram and I, I see them every day and I love I love it I love Thank hearing you. the songs that I know and I love hearing the songs that I don't know that you introduced me to. I'm like, I need to add that to my rep list. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. So what's what's the experience been like? I, I imagine there's probably some mornings that take, or days, whenever you record, I imagine there's some times where it takes a little more discipline than others. Uh, like, I got to oh, make yeah. sure. You know, so what, what about that? Oh, yeah. So I've primarily been doing them afternoon, early evening or so. Sometimes it's later at night. Um, mm -hmm. There have been a couple of days that I've, you know, not had the energy for it, not had the spoons for it, and so I, you know, doubled up the next day yeah. or whatever. But um, it's been a lot of fun, especially learning songs that I don't know, and um, playing them on piano is, you know, is really improving my piano proficiency as well. Nice. More practice with that, um, learning melodies and um, learning more chords for ukuleles, and also my husband's gotten into it occasionally. He'll yeah. like pop That's in right. and blow the conch shell on yes. drunken sailor or things like that. Yes. So. Uh, that's been a lot of fun that. for us. So it's bonding. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah. promoting that cohesion. Uh -huh. I love that. Um, so at any point, are you going to take requests in addition to your daily practice? Actually, funny you may say that. Oh, yeah? um, I'm doing the longest day fundraiser for the Alzheimer's Association okay. Okay. on the summer solstice. And I want my fundraising efforts to be music-based, and so I've considered doing requests for, okay. you know, if you donate $10, I'll play so what's, whatever. And What's the information? I, I want people to know. Do, do you have the information for that? You can talk about it? Um, you can find me at uh, Carolina Music Therapy, LLC, Allison Huey, MTBC, on Facebook, and I'm posting information about the fundraiser there. Okay. Um, there's further information on the fundraiser as a whole on the Alzheimer's Association website, uh -huh. which I believe is alz.org. Okay. Um, so the, the emphasis is for the longest day of the year for people to do fundraising efforts, which involves something near and dear to their heart um, throughout the day. Yeah. So I'm planning things throughout the day that will be opportunities for raising funds to help people with Alzheimer's and research regarding Alzheimer's. And what's your uh, Instagram handle for the daily youth practice? At Alley Flute. Okay. A L I F L U T E. Fantastic. Cool. Thank you so much. And that's it for this podcast. Thanks for listening again. And a very, very, very special thank you to Maria Nicta, Hannah Coleman, Danae Merrick, Caitlin Whiteman Osman, Rosemary Takis. Madison Jenkins, and Allison Huey. Without you, this episode would not have been possible, and I truly appreciate you sitting down and chatting with me. It was my pleasure, and thank you, thank you, thank you. Never Mind Who Listens is written, recorded, and edited by me, Dean Quick. Find Never Mind Who Listens on Instagram at nevermindwholistens. Download the podcast wherever you currently get podcasts.